You're listening to the Justin C. Gleason Podcast. Please press follow and become a loyal listener. Select a five-star rating and support by giving through Cash App, PayPal, or Venmo at Justin C. Gleason. Thank you for listening, sharing, and your generosity. Time to stop going all the way with your girlfriend and start going all the way with God. You want to get married in the will of God, it's time to start dating in the will of God. So you've got feelings for her. You've got feelings for him. I don't care how you feel. How does God feel about it? I've I've been asked this uh, more times than I can remember by by young people, hyphen age, even some older people. Brother Justin, how far can we go? How far can we go? How far can he and I go? How far can she and I go? Is it like first base or second base or third base? You know, you know all of that stuff. I want to say, if you're asking that, how far can we go? It's a sign you haven't gone very far in God. Look, you want to have God in your relationships. You got to do things God's way. You want signs that it's the will of God, that he's for you, she's for you. You got to be spiritual about it. You want to have signals from God that this is the right thing. You got to get the sin out of the relationship, okay? Uh, it's, It's that simple. You do it God's way and God will have his way in your dating, your engagement, uh, and in your marriage. I've been thinking about it a lot lately. Why do apostolics date? Some apostolics uh, prefer not even to use that word, really, because a lot of us came out of the world, came out of a sinful lifestyle, and dating uh, produces a bad equation in our memory. And so many would prefer to use uh, the term courting. And that's fine. Courting's a good word. Uh, it's kind of foreign to some of us. It's kind of an older, older term, right? You think of um, Pride and Prejudice, <laughs> uh, Gilbert Blythe and Anne of Green Gables, that stuff, right? But it's fine, courting. It's essentially, I think, seeing if somebody is suitable for marriage without the sin of this world. That's why apostolics date. That's why we court. I I say dating because I grew up in church. Uh, It's just the word that I've always associated with it. Dating to me doesn't equate sin uh, at all. I kept myself pure, and so did my wife, Sister G. And uh, we dated. That's how it is. And we're enjoying marriage to this day. But uh, why are we dating? Why are we courting? I think the two main reasons are is seen together if we can be saved and we can be social. What do I mean by being saved? Well, it's just what it is, salvation. In other words, when you two are together, your interaction together at church, whether it's worship, preaching, altar call, doctrine, all of those things, can both of you be in agreement on spirituality? Can both of you be in agreement on your religion? Both of you be in agreement on your faith? Can you both be saved together? Uh, Peter writes it in, in his epistle. He calls the husband and the wife heirs of salvation together. And, and matter of fact, he even goes into details that the reason a lot of the church people at that time, and it speaks to us to, to this day, why maybe their prayers aren't being answered? Well, it's because people were not treating their spouse right. Husbands, if you're not treating your wife right, God won't hear your prayers. Wives, you're not treating your husband right, God won't hear your prayers. You have to know how to walk together in agreement 
and in love and unity as a married couple to have salvation, to have prayers answered, to have a relationship with God. You got to figure that out. You better figure that out very quickly. That's why I have no problem with keeping your eyes open during church. Now, I've heard it before. <laughs> you know, these guys will come up and they're like, oh, she was just such an awesome worshiper. I was so attracted to her worship. I'm like, okay, I get it. You know, I've seen people and their worship blesses me, but I want to say to a dude, dude, it ain't her worship, bro. <laughs> Uh, it, it, it's, <laughs> it is not her praise and worship, bro. You just got feelings, man. That's how it is. And then, and then of course they get honest and say, uh, yeah, but you know what? You, you need to pay attention to those things. Uh, girls, do you want to marry a guy that doesn't worship? I know you're not supposed to observe this, but you notice he never gives. <laughs> do you want to enter into a marriage with a guy who doesn't tithe, doesn't give offering? Do you really want that? A uh, guy, do you want to enter marriage to a girl that's like, no, we're not giving. We need that money for a new couch. We need that money for a new this, a new that. You really want to enter a marriage with that? You got to check their spirituality. That's why keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes open, wide open, because love is very, very blind. And dating will help expose somebody's true spirituality. And that's why we do it. Next thing you want to look at while you're dating is, I know when you're dating, you're not married. You are not one flesh. It, 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 it is a separated uh, deal, the guy and the girl. But whenever you all are together as a dating couple, what type of impact do you make on other people as a dating couple? Calling yourself official, maybe on social media or not. It's getting popular nowadays. People aren't, aren't talking about their, their dating uh, lives on social media. It's like all of a sudden, bam, they're engaged. <laughs> it's like, well, where did that come from? Eh, that's fine. That's fine. I totally respect that. Considering where social media is going, goodness gracious, uh, do, you, do you want the social media government, whoever, building a big profile on you? I know I don't. So I'm seeing social media taking a turn, a shift. A lot of people are not putting much of their personal life on social media. Totally get that, respect that. It's actually kind of smart. But in your church, in your section, your district, your organization, wherever, whenever you're dating, uh, what type of impact do you and her make on your friends? Do you feel like people uh, like being around you two together or is it annoying? Do people enjoy spending time on you or is it awkward and uncomfortable? You got to ask those things because if there's problems in the dating, there's probably going to be problems in the marriage. That's what dating's for. Can you be saved? And can you make an impact on other saved people in your dating relationship? Another thing we got to look at is your social interaction. I think it's important to really notice do we have a good social connection with each other? That's really what, like, the. Okay, okay, you have the dating, meaning going on dates, going on courts, <laughs> going on dates and courts, courting. What it is is essentially you got to figure out, can you guys enjoy conversation with each other? Can you enjoy just downtime, the free time, the leisure? Can you all enjoy a little good, clean entertainment together? You got to know if that connects with you all, because if you can connect with that, generally everything else falls into place. And then you got to notice, yes, do we come together socially or, or not? And if you do, then how is it socially with other people, your friends, the people you associate with? Since you all are a dating couple, is, is there still even greater social interaction with other people? It's really just a test without coming together, without being one flesh, without being married, do her and I, knowing that there's feelings for each other, how does it, how do other people react about it? Does it make people better that are around us or does it make people worse? You got to ask those things. Those are important. Salvation and the social setting. Salvation for yourselves, salvation for others, and the social setting for yourselves and social setting for each other. This is Josh Herring, and you're listening to Justin C. Gleason.
But the number one question you need to be asking for yourself is, am I dating to see if one day we could be a family? Because what is marriage? Is marriage uh, salvation? Well, <laughs> well, yeah, you are heirs together, but you read the depths of Jesus explaining a revelation that in heaven they are neither married nor given in marriage. I won't know Sister G as my wife in heaven at all. Okay, In heaven, we're all like brothers or sisters. We're all born of God. And once we leave this earth and enter into the kingdom, being born of Jesus Christ, it will all be as if we are brothers and sisters, joint heirs together, and all sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. That's, that's kind of the change that it'll be. So it's not really a, a salvation thing. And then marriage, yes, there's social aspects to it, but really, once you get married, you realize it's not all dates. It's uh, keeping a house together. It's making sure bills are paid. It's making sure life is functioning and going, right? Essentially, what you are becoming is a family. That's what marriage is. It is a family. That's the number one reason why we date. That is the number one reason why we court. It is to see if we can be a family. Guy, you have to look at her and ask yourself honestly, can I be her husband? Can I be the husband that Jesus expects me to be? Can I love her like the Bible teaches, to love her as Christ loves the church, as Christ gave himself, gave himself, mm. gave himself for the church? Can you give yourself for her? Can you love her like that? Can you be patient with her? Can you be always kind to her? It's time to start asking yourself a lot of serious questions. Can she become your family? Girl, you got to ask the same thing to, about that guy. Ask yourself, can I be his wife? You know, you're, you're riding in the church van together. Ugh, the dreaded church van. It's actually a great place uh, for couples. Great place for people that are interested in each other. you got to start asking yourself, Self, can I be his wife? Meaning, can you submit to him as Christ is submitted under church? Can you be submitted? Man, that's a big word that you really don't hear a lot about. Submission. You know what it essentially is? It means to have no stubbornness in your opinion. Girl, could his opinion be greater than yours? Are you going to be stubborn and always have to have your own way? They used to say, uh, are you going to let the man wear the pants in the family? <laughs> yeah, it's kind of, kind of true, kind of hyperbole there. you got to ask yourself that, is his opinion better than mine? Because the way Christ has set up marriage, the husband's opinion is how it is. Mm-hmm. Not odd about everything, but the main things and the major decisions and the direction that a family has to go are you willing to be in submission to that? And the next big question that you need to be asking yourself while you're dating, if it's applicable, is can he and I, can she and I be a father and mother to the same children? Ooh. That's right. I am talking about family. Husbands, wives, and kids. Now, in the context of what I'm talking about is geared towards single young people. Maybe you're listening to this. You're a, a guy. You're, you're 62 years old. <clears throat> You've been single for a while now, maybe a lawful divorce, or maybe uh, your, your wife passed away, or, or, or what? maybe you've been celibate all these years. I don't know. And the girl you're interested in, she's 57. Uh, probably not going to be <laughs> bringing children into this world. Look, I, I get it. There's other, there's other stipulations for that. Some of these principles, though, though can really apply. You know, I, I, you know, some say health at any size. I say <laughs> health, healthy marriage at any age, right? I, I, I kind of believe in that. But, you know, that's really up to pastoral judgment, pastoral discretion with a lot of that. God gives uh, your pastor 
uh, description about that. So, of course, talk to him. But I'm primarily talking to people right now that uh, you're 16 and 17. You realize you're not going to be a teenager much longer. And you've got college on your mind. You've got the future on your mind. And you want to do it right. And I'm giving you direction on how to set yourself up without a rough start in life. And the way you do that is start asking yourself these things when you're around the person that you like. Do I feel saved? Am I still saved around them? And do we exhibit uh, salvation to other people? Do we exhibit spirituality to other people as a dating couple? And then how's our social life together? Do we enjoy being social? Do we enjoy downtime together? And then downtime around our families and our friends? Or is it awkward and and doesn't work out? (laughs) you got to ask yourself those things because that's what a lot of marriage is. A lot of marriages. And the most important thing that we're focusing on today is dating to see if you could be a family. If you're taking notes, and a lot of you do, somebody, I've had people send like the notes that they take. They take screenshots of their journal or uh, copy and paste what they write down. I'm just amazed at how many uh, people do that. It's uh, Note taking uh, helps you out. I recommend taking notes when somebody's preaching, somebody's talking, or even books you read. Just take notes. Uh, things that are noteworthy to you and collect them and and make it a part of your own personal uh, note collecting library. If you're taking notes, I'd put this down, calling it the proper order of building a family. The proper order of building a family. And it's taken a lot from the Bible, a lot from just history, what has seemed to be the easiest to manage. And what has worked out for most people, and that is number one, primarily for the guy, but also for the girl nowadays, you need to become employable, okay? You need to acquire some type of education. College education is good, very good. It's not for everybody. There's plenty of people out there that have had a very successful, accomplished life uh, without college, some even without high school. Some with just getting the GED, the good enough diploma, right? (laughs) The main thing is become employable somehow through education, through training, uh, apprenticeship, learning some way to make honest money. Uh, If you know how to sell, (laughs) you will always have a job. Let me tell you, if you can sell, you will always have a job. Just understand business. Understand business. Learn something. Learn how to do something, to do something for yourself and to do something for your future family. Uh, that's important. That's number one. You really need to get something under control. Okay. Then you need to date. You need to court. And uh, engagement is a part of that. After that, marriage. And then in the mix of all of that somewhere, but really it comes after the dwelling place, meaning you move in together under the same roof. And start your life together. You consummate the marriage. You have the children. You be a family. All right? The proper order of building a family. Become employable. Date, court, engagement. Marriage, meaning have the wedding day. Move in together. Consummate the marriage. Have children. Be a family. You do things in those order, you will please the Lord. The world's manner... (laughs) Uh, has all of those, but really shuffles them up a little bit, (laughs) okay? A lot of people, uh, they don't become employable first. You know what they go right for? Uh, Number five down there, consummate the marriage. (laughs) They fornicate. That's like the very first thing they do, and they kind of get that going. Uh, And and then after that, maybe date and uh, court a little bit, and then, of course, they go right for number four. They dwell together. They move in together. Then they have children together, and then you know, finally, they're like 48, 46, and they're all around each other. Uh, every, everybody's drinking beer and having a good time. And in, in front of everybody, they're like, we might as well get married. Yeah, and they get married. And then their marriage ends in divorce about three or four years later, and it's just a mess. You just see that happen. What I'm telling you is just a proper order. And it's not hard. I did it. It worked out great. It's how Pentecostals do it. Let the world mess itself up. You do what God wants you to do. Don't worry about what the world pressures. Don't worry about how maybe other people that you grew up around did it. You do what God said to do. And the hand of God will be upon your life. Now, have people in church gotten that out of order? Absolutely. 
And you know what? Thank God for grace. Thank God for forgiveness. If you do it out of order, you haven't completely messed up your life. You have, you, you know, if you, you're a girl, you you uh, lay down with a man you're not married with. You guys conceive. You have a baby. He has has wants to have nothing to do with you, and you're left there as a single mom. You haven't destroyed your life. You've just gotten out to a rough start. You can build back. You can build up. God's grace is sufficient to help you through those things. But just like any sin, sin is always a setback, even where sin is welcome. Sin is chaos, even where uh, sin is enjoyed. It always is. So doing those things will help you uh, off to a good start. If you haven't, you'll just have to work a little bit harder. There's always hope for you, I'm telling you. But if you're single, you're listening to this, take Gleason's advice. Become employable somehow. Date in court. Get married. Find your place of dwelling. Move in together somewhere. Consummate that marriage. Have children. Be a family. That's how you do it. There's nothing like it. You have to have the hand of God on your life and your family to make it in this world. Do you want God to work in your family? Then do it God's way. A scripture that I found when I was single that really meant a lot to me was Proverbs 24, verses 3 through 4, and it says, Through wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. Now, on the surface, that proverb seems like just constructing a a residential home. But like most things in the Bible, it's not really what it, it doesn't mean what it means on the surface. There's rather a deeper meaning. And I have found through observation and through study that a house spiritually represents a family. Represents a husband, a wife represents the children, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles, all of that. But really mostly it's, the, it's your immediate home, the husband, wife, and the kids. You ever see a house in a dream? It represents your family. And Jesus even talked about that. And he who builds his house upon the rock is wise. Yeah, it's talking about family, your family. So read it like a family. Through wisdom, a family is built. By understanding, the family is established. And by knowledge, the family is filled with all precious and pleasant riches. And I took that literally, especially after Sister G and I got married. After we came back from our honeymoon, this was in 2010. We sat down and we kind of already had an idea of our goals in life when we were dating and engaged. But we really nailed it down and we said we want to rent for three years. Uh, you know, buying a home is nice, but, and you, you know, they say when you're renting, you're throwing your money away. Good, I, I get that. You're not building any equity or any value or any investment in renting. I understand that, but buying a home is stressful. Managing a house is work. Do you want to have extra stress in the first few years of your marriage? Do you want to have extra work in the first few years of your marriage? Uh, we didn't. And so if you think like that, renting is a good idea, but not forever. Some of you, maybe your parents or her parents have a beautiful, huge basement. And I mean, it's, it's move-in ready. Uh, nothing wrong with living there, but you don't want to make a temporary plan permanent. That can uh, sometimes set you back and cause you trouble. Whatever, but the less stress and the easiest to maintain those first few years of marriage are are usually the best decisions, right? So we rented for three years, and I remember having that first conversation after we got married. We said we want to buy a house in three years, and then five years have kids. That's what we prayed for. That's what we asked God for. That's what we got an agreement with about. It's what we negotiated. It's what we planned, and it all worked out. It's amazing. <laughs> and you got to have those conversations Yes, after the honeymoon, but even before the wedding day, you need to start having those kind of conversations. You don't want to divulge all those details, but having children is pretty important, and how many you want is pretty important, and where you want to live, and how you want to live, and what you want to buy, what you don't want to buy, is pretty important. 
helps you stay on the same page. Okay. And if you want to be on the same page, get a page. We wrote it all out on a page and we still got that page tucked away somewhere in our keepsakes. So yeah, God gave us a house. Uh, I only live about five blocks from my parents. Didn't plan on that. Love the neighborhood. It's great. We moved in in 2013. And it was really prophetic how we got the house. A man in our church, he told me in December of 2012, Brother Justin, things are unclear for you, but they're about to be clear for you by this coming March. And I kind of forgot about it. But then January came, and uh, we started house hunting. This is January 2013. And we put down so many offers, but nothing was working out. And I've talked about this in, in past episodes. I won't go into all the details, but essentially every door slammed. And it was the middle of February, like February 15th. And we knew that if we wanted to get into a house, we would have to have a sales contract by the middle of February. Because most closing processes could take 40 days, sometimes 50 days, 60 days, whatever. And our lease would be up at the end of March. We'd have to decide if we want to sign another one-year lease in, in April or go month to month. So it's the middle of February and we got nothing. And uh, we prayed that night. We're really discouraged. And then that next morning, our realtor called and said, I, I got a house I want you to look at. So we went and looked at it and uh, fell in love with it. And long story short, we closed on the last business day of March, <laughs> fulfilling the word of the Lord. So Sister G and I, when we got married, we said, we want to have three kids. That's the, kind, that's the family we want. We want to have three kids. I come from a family of four. She comes from a, or I, I come from, you know, I have three other siblings. There's four of us. And, and then uh, Sister G has a brother. So there's uh, two siblings with her, four siblings for me. We said, let's meet in the middle and do three. And I don't know, as a kid, I always thought about having three kids. I, I don't know why. I don't know why. And it's a husband and wife thing. You may want to have one. You may want to have 19 or, or 25 kids. God, God bless you. Uh, be fruitful. <laughs> lots and lots of fruit going on. Be fruitful and multiply. But kids are important. Children are a heritage of the Lord. And I, I, girls, let me tell you, watch out for these dudes that say, I don't want to have kids. I just want to adopt. I've just observed it. It's a sign he is bad news. Bad news. Guy who don't want to have kids with you won't want to do a lot with you. Okay, we'll leave it at that. <coughs> Moving on. <laughs> All right, so we said we'd have three, three kids. But I really wanted that, that passage, Proverbs 24, 3-4, to be fulfilled. I wanted a house built on wisdom. Well, I got that. This house was built on wisdom. I wanted this house to be established. That happened. In two years, from 2013 to 15, but it came time to start filling up those rooms with precious and pleasant riches. We got a four-bedroom house. We have a master bed bedroom for Sister G and I, and then three little rooms we got to fill up, and we did. We have filled up all three of those rooms. Okay, God did it for us. God gave it to us. Because when Sister G and I dated, it wasn't dating just to look cool. It wasn't dating just to feel like good about ourselves and to have some self-esteem and to look popular and have it all together and we're not going to be single. No, it wasn't none of that. I wanted a family. She wanted a family. We enjoyed downtime together. We enjoyed entertainment together. We enjoyed conversation together. But you better believe we enjoyed church together. Man, we wanted to be a family and God gave it to us through mighty signs and wonders. My Lord, he gave it to us. I'll never forget Father's Day 2015. We've been in the house for two years. And uh, I was thinking about having kids. And on Father's Day, I'm down there praying at the altar. And a man come up to me in our church, put his arms around me and just started praying. And he just said, Lord, I call upon you to make his quiver full. And, you know, I was, I was feeling the Holy Ghost. I was enjoying the altar service. But can I tell you, when he spoke that to me, I just burst out speaking in tongues, a, a dialect and language I have never spoken before. <laughs> and soon after that, another brother come up to me 
and it kind of spoke the same thing over me, that God would make my quiver full. You know what was going on there? The body of Christ was ministering to the body of Christ. It's Father's Day. I don't have kids yet. I've been married five years. It's time. People are ready for Justin and Sister G to start having beautiful children. And it was that day that God spoke to me and said, within one year, you will embrace your firstborn child. Mm. Man. Sure enough, later that year, I come home, open the door, called out for Sister G. She wasn't there. I come around in the room. I come down and look down on the coffee table, and there's three Bibles there. My Bible, <laughs> Sister G's Bible, and a little Bible that says Baby Gleason. I look up, and Sister G was hiding there behind <laughs> the couch and took a picture of me. I got that picture, that reaction. She announced to me with Bibles that we are expecting. Man, went out to a nice Brazilian dinner steakhouse after that. And she said, we got to do this because I'm not going to be able to eat steak probably for months. <laughs> yeah, because of the, the you know pregnancy discomfort. Man, was that ever true. I ate a lot that night, man. Yeah, we wanted to celebrate it big. But I'll never forget, in March 2016, we were expecting about halfway through, and I was, I, I, it was a dream. In my dream, when I opened my eyes, how do you know a dream from God is you will always remember the beginning of it and the ending of it. Most dreams, you don't really know how you got there or how it ended. It's just kind of there in the middle. Open my eyes. I'm sitting on the couch where I sit to this day. Where, where Anytime I'm in the living room, it's just where I sit. Open my eyes and look down to the left, and I see a little toddler, a little girl. She's got bright blue eyes and like strawberry blonde hair, and she's looking at me like, what are you doing? And I look down, and my Bible is open, and I'm looking at Proverbs 24, 3 through 4. And I'll never forget the dream because when I was sitting there, I looked at the couch, and it was kind of a white grayish color. And, and then I woke up. At that time, we had like the, uh, this darker brown type theme in the living room, and it was a dark brown couch. It wasn't too long after our firstborn daughter was born uh, that we went and bought, bought new furniture, and we ended up getting a grayish, whitish couch, you know, looking real Pinterest, you know. It was a fulfillment of the dream, but also the, the next fulfillment was, of course, our little girl who was born with brown hair, a lot of brown hair. She used to have a little curl on the top. We called it the curly patch. <laughs> Our little honey, uh, her hair turned a beautiful strawberry blonde. I remember when she was about two or three years old, standing at the end of that couch talking to me while I was sitting there in my spot, and I looked down at that couch, and I was like, whoa, I've been here before. My God, I had a dream of this. It was like God showing me, I have already seen something, and I want to give you a glimpse of it. That's what deja vu is. That's what spiritual dreams are. It is simply God showing you what he has already seen for your future. It's how you know you're right where you need to be or how to know how to get out of where you're at and go to where you need to be. That was our first child, our little honey, firstborn girl. Our room was filled with precious and pleasant riches. Okay, It got really deep when we found out, really spiritual, when we found out for our secondborn. I started having dreams of flowers throughout the house. Like I had dreams, like I, I would be walking through my house up and down the stairs in the living room, kitchen, flowers growing everywhere, out of the walls, out of the ground, out of the refrigerator, growing out of my coffee cup. You come to realize flowers are a sign of new life. It's how the Lord pictures a baby. There's other examples. It's how he pictures them. It, it's a flower and Sure enough, it wasn't long after that. Sister G surprised me, told me we're expecting. And you know, you're happy for your baby to be healthy, but you know, I think everybody wants to have a son or a daughter, or if you're only blessed to have one child, you're just excited for it to be healthy. But we had our little girl, and I wanted a son. i never forget the day that we went to find out the gender of the baby. I woke up, and I heard a man whistling in our house. Uh, it's just us talking here. I was so terrified that somebody was in our house that I uh, went and got my shotgun. <laughs> I racked the slide. <laughs> I came charging downstairs, was ready to go. 
And uh, I looked around and realized nobody's in my house. And I thought, my God, is that my dad? Because the man whistling sounded exactly how my father whistles, especially when he would whistle for me out the back door for me to come home. You know, I'd be playing in the neighborhood a few houses down in, in my friend's backyard on the swing set. He'd whistle for me. It's time for dinner. I remember thinking, my God, is my dad here? And I'm st- standing there spinning around in circles with this gun wondering, what in the world is that? I'm like, is that a phone or a device, a laptop, that TV? And no, all of it was off. And I stopped and realized that it was the Lord. And the Lord spoke to me, just like in the thought of my mind with that sound, as your father whistled for you. This is the familiar sound I'm giving to you. You're about to be a dad of a baby boy. And we went to the uh, doctor. They did the sonogram. We found out we were having a boy. (laughs) Man. The night we were about to go to the hospital for the delivery, you know what I heard and my wife heard and my mother-in-law heard? That same whistling all throughout the house. Like God was saying, you're about to have a son. Hmm. And then uh, we just had our third baby. All three of those rooms have been filled with precious and pleasant riches. And my third son, I've talked to you about it uh, this past uh, winter time, shortly after he was born. I prayed before I had children, God, I want two sons like my father. And my second-born son is born the day after my birthday. You know, it's interesting, my dad's second son, my younger brother, he's born the day after my father's birthday. It was a sign that God heard my prayer to have sons, two sons like my dad. A lot, a, lot of, a lot of the prophetic signals and signs with my sons were connected to how my brother and I were born. Mm. All of these things have happened to me, and I'm just telling you the shortened version. I really, this year, I'm really going to impact having children, and I don't apologize for crying. Let me tell you what, you think you're a real man, <laughs> just wait till you hear that baby cry for the first time. You'll blubber and bawl like a baby, dude. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> But all these things have happened to me because Sister G and I, we dated. We wanted to see if we could be a family. Mm. Family's the backbone of civilization. Before Jesus came, before the church was initiated, before really anything in the Bible ever came, you know what God made? Family. (laughs) Before there was actually ever a mother and father, Adam said, this is the wife. A man shall leave his father and mother and take his wife and cleave to her. Mm. Date to see if you could be a family and watch God bless you with a beautiful house with many rooms that need to be filled with precious and pleasant riches. That's children. Highlight Proverbs 24, 3-4. Hold on to it and claim it. And say, God, I want my family to be built with wisdom. I want it to be established and flourish through understanding and with knowledge. Every room inside of it to be filled with precious and pleasant riches. I want that master bedroom to be filled with my wife and I, my husband and I. I want all the rooms down the hall to be filled with our children. I want every room to be filled with pictures of our memories. I want there to be keepsakes in every room. I want every room to have something meaningful and special. Date for a family. Date for a family. The family is under siege. It's under attack. The devil is trying to change it any way he can. We are at war for the family. So while the world is confused and full of dysphoria, may the church say, you know what, we don't need to change anything. We just need to stick with what God set up in the beginning, and that is a husband, a wife, and children. I'm Justin Gleason. God bless you. God bless your future wife. God bless the beautiful children you're going to have. Amen. May the Lord give you a family.
If you can believe it, January of 2022 has come and gone. Had some great episodes in January of 2022, and we've got the stats here being listened to in nations all throughout God's green earth. (laughs) Outside of North America, coming in at number two, the United Kingdom. Number one, France. Yeah, thank you, Earth, for listening. Over into North America, up in Canada, the beautiful, gorgeous, great white north. Number two, New Brunswick. And number one, Ontario. To the United States of America. Number 10, Arkansas. Number nine, Michigan. Number eight, Colorado. Number seven, Pennsylvania. And number six, my home state, Missouri. (laughs) And I got to looking at the uh, numbers of my home state, and I thought, am I dipping? No, actually, I'm up. But what's going on here is Missouri's been steady. It's been stable. It's been a great state for our listenership. But uh, there's other states, just the numbers have just popped (laughs) and increased. Coming in at number five, down in Florida. Number four, Ohio. Number three, Illinois. Number two, the beautiful, bright, shining, golden state, California. And then number one, everything is bigger, and this state came in big in January of 2022. Texas. Thank you so much. To all of you in the United States, Canada, throughout the world for your loyal listenership, I love talking to you. I don't view you all as my saints and I'm your pastor. It's not like that. (laughs) I don't view you guys as like my little kids, but there's just something about having somebody to talk to. Even though we're not face-to-face, we talk to each other through a podcast I don't know how to explain it, but every time I open up this laptop, turn on this microphone, record this thing that we call the JCGP, I feel, I feel you like in this basement with me. And there's, (laughs) I don't know how to explain it. I'm telling you, it's something. God moves and manifests, and I love it. Let's get on over to some uh, listener response and feedback. Judith says, I appreciate your podcast. The Lord has used JCGP many times to bless and to help me. I appreciate you telling the truth as the Bible says it. Hmm. She says, I was cracking up at your response a few episodes about a guy's question on what a guy can do to make an impression on a girl he likes. So I want to ask you, what can a girl do to make a good impression on a potential guy she's interested in? She says, I believe that the woman should be pursued, and I know you do too, but uh, is there some way that she can indicate interest in the right way? Got any tips? Thanks. (laughs) Well, let me tell you this. The truth will make you free. It'll always make you free. A lot of the craziness in the world comes from people who refuse to accept the truth, and so I'm glad you appreciate somebody who tells it the way it is. In these episodes, uh, I've gotten, as you've, as you've heard in past episodes, a lot of uh, negative feedback from being so open and so blunt about this stuff. But I don't know how else to talk nowadays. I, I, I feel like people can't take the hint. People, uh, innuendo doesn't communicate anymore. <laughs> you got to tell them direct. So I appreciate somebody who likes that type of, um, that type of communication. So... Okay, Judith, I normally don't offer any suggestions to women on dating. I don't. Uh, Definitely for sure physical, because I learned a long time ago, uh, what girl wants to hear a guy to tell them how to dress and to look? Okay? I'm not going to do it. Right? Ask your pastor's wife. Ask ask your mother. Ask another uh, lady that you really care about uh, for that. But, okay, so I'll just, we'll leave it at this. I'll just uh, maybe give you some advice on how to act uh, for this church guy you're interested in. Uh, get to know his guy friends. Become friends with his friends. And that's a good thing to do. Plus, you should just be friends with as many people you can in the church. But becoming friends with his friends uh, 
uh, I think sends a good message. And it, it is another way to get him to notice you. Now, if that's your only motive to get to know his friends, to get to know him, it may work for a month or two, but eventually people have figured it out. So you got to be genuine. So be friends with his friends, but not awkward. But it's kind of a great way to get to make a connection. So if you get to know his friends because you want to get to know him, well, you're going to have to be friends with his friends uh, to get any way with him because guys will listen to their friends, right? Okay, so yeah, friends, 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 friends. It's a good thing. Surround yourself with good other good guys in the youth group. And, and of course, stay close to all your girlfriends. But okay, all right, let's get down to it a little bit more on how to act. If you catch him, or excuse me, let him catch you looking at him. I know your your eyebrows are going up. What? Yes. Let him catch you looking at him. Believe me, it works because Sister G did it to me. Let him catch you looking at him. And just for like a half second, let him know that you're looking at him. Then kind of look away. That will send a message. And what you do next is up to you. But let, it, let him catch you looking at him. Okay? And then uh, the, next, uh, the next time you guys talk, try to compliment him. On his personality, yes, but more so what he's done. I mean, yeah, you can tell him he looks nice. Any any compliment is going to make somebody feel good, but really compliment him on what he's done, on what he's accomplished. And I think that will break a lot of ice. And if he has feelings for you, he'll want to pursue those things. So friends with his friends, let him catch you looking at him. And those first few conversations really uh, compliment and affirm him. You know, a lot of times girls feel insecure about the way they look. Uh, so it's important for guys to really compliment a girl's dress and outfit, but very appropriate, you know. And then her personality and her spirit compliment all of that. Basically her. Guys, you don't really have to compliment how they look, how they dress, but really some more so about what they've done and accomplished. So if you can show an interest in maybe what he's going to school for, the type of work he's doing, uh, the car he drives, his motorcycle, uh, his PlayStation, whatever. You do that, you will uh, generate interest. Hope it helps. Carrie wrote to me and said, I've been reading the Apostolic Study Bible. That's good. It references the Apocrypha Book of Enoch and that there are three chapters of Daniel that never made it to the KJV. Hmm. What's your opinion on these books? Did the Catholic Church make up these books? Will these writings cause confusion and error in doctrine? Uh, first of all, the Apostolic Study Bible is very good, and I think it be, can be trusted. So uh, stick with it. Uh, years ago, I read the Apocrypha, actually several times through. I was kind of interested in it like you are, and uh, read the Book of Enoch. Actually, I've read the Book of Enoch quite a few times. And I don't see any errors in doctrine. Of course, I wasn't looking for them. I wasn't looking for anything. I just wanted to read it for what it was and see if it could speak to me. And it did. Uh, so reading it, I didn't find any errors. I didn't find anything that disagreed with the Bible. But after reading them and, and having read the Bible through many times, after reading it, I, I didn't feel like those writings fit in the feeling of the books of the, of the biblical canon. Hey, it, it was a feeling thing to me, and I think a lot of the uh, original fathers that put together the canon of Scripture did the same thing. They just wanted the overall Bible package to be on the same page with each other, not only in doctrine and in ideas, but feeling and vision, direction. And if you've read the Apocrypha, it really doesn't fit a lot into that um, uh, post-exilic generation. Not that they're bad, it just doesn't fit, Okay. Uh, the book of Daniel, do you think everything that Daniel ever wrote or experienced is in the book of Daniel? It's not. Does that mean if they dig up and find a long-lost uh, journal or an entry or a writing that he wrote to Shalmaneser or whoever, or a Nebuchadnezzar, that they, they said, oh, wow, we found another writing of Daniel. we got to stick it in the Bible now. No, no. That door is closed. The canon is there. So is, if they find another document, is it false doctrine? No, it just doesn't fit the biblical canon. That's how I feel about the Apocrypha and the Book of Enoch. We read the Book of Enoch. Goodness gracious. I mean, he saw the end of days, and, and, and there's New Testament writers that quote from it. And it really was a foundational writing for a lot of 
uh, apocalyptic prophetic writing. And it does solve a lot of answers, if you believe it or not, when it says when the sons of God came to the daughters of men. I mean, that's in there. Whew. And and maybe that shouldn't be in the Bible because it, it divulges a lot of details that it's better if you just don't know. Okay, uh, Reading about too much darkness, even though it's true, it can make you dark. Believe me, I've learned that the hard way. Trust me what I'm talking about. So I love a lot of apostolic authors. I love uh, Tom Barnes' books, Kenneth Reeves' books, Billy Cole's books, Brother Stone King's books, all of those things. And I've read them, and they're all doctrinally sound. But does that mean that they're Scripture? No. Uh, some of you read a lot of Brother Bernard's books. Great books. Are they Scripture? No. Do they disagree with the Bible? No. But it doesn't belong in the biblical canon. And that's how I look at Enoch and the Apocrypha. But some people want to stick it into uh, their Bibles and stick it on a shelf and sell it. You know, God bless them. And if you've got an Apocrypha in your Bible, God bless you, but your pastor's probably never going to say, let us open up the Word of God to Tobit <laughs> or Indros or, <laughs> or whatever the name is or uh, the Book of Enoch. All right. So uh, it's fine to read. You're not, it's not going to confuse you. It's not going to be a waste of time. Maybe read it once or twice. That's about it. But I'm going to tell you, if you stick with those 66 books of the Bible, you're going to get to know God. You're going to get to know His Word, and uh, it's the authentic thing to read. All right? So, good questions. If you want to uh, write me, contact me at Justin C. Gleason, or you can uh, DM me on Instagram, a Facebook messenger, even at uh, Twitter. Or if you'd like to, my, my what I prefer you do is go down into, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, go down into the review section and write a little review uh, about this episode and tell me what you think and ask me a question. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Valentine's Day is coming up. It's time to start thinking about a date and not just a date to date, but date to have a family. Family.